0: just after nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. And that must mean it's time again for Money Management with Opus 111 Group's Mike Mail. Here's Mike. Good morning and welcome to Money Management with Mike Mail. This is Jim Harvey, president of Opus 111 Group. Today I'm substituting for your regular host, Mike Mail, who's a senior vice president of our firm and oversees our Spokane branch. As has been the case since the outset of the COVID pandemic, this is not the usual Saturday morning show in which you can call in with your questions. If you have any questions you'd like us to address in future money management shows, please email them to info at opus111group.com. And we will either answer them directly or during next week's show. We also encourage and invite you to visit our website for the latest on the markets, Listen to our video and audio podcasts and our perspectives on how you can manage your portfolio in a way that enhances your ability to achieve your financial goals. After a brief break, I will bring you up to speed on the week that was in the markets and some key economic news. Once I've done that, I will focus on three topics associated with a topic that is of high current interest, which is financing secondary and higher education funding. As you may be aware, the recent decision by the Biden administration to forgive $10,000 of student loan debt for certain individuals is being met with some controversy. So in addition to outline the salient points about the loan program uh, forgiveness and its key parameters, we will discuss 529 plans and their taxation, 529 plans and what constitutes qualified versus non-qualified expenses, and 529 plans and their impact on financial aid applications. So let's talk about the Student Loan Forgiveness Program. Like other great society programs, federal student loans and grants were initially aimed at helping low-income Americans. They have since become another all-you-can-eat entitlement. Its costs grow on autopilot as lawmakers boost subsidies in the name of making higher education more affordable. But in reality, we're doing the opposite. Undergraduates in 1973 were allowed to borrow $7,500, but Congress over the years has lifted the lifetime federal loan limit, which is now 31,000 for students or dependents and 57,500 for others. Congress in 1980 established low interest plus loans for parents, which were expanded to graduate students in 2006. These have no dollar cap whatsoever colleges have responded all too rationally by raising prices and using the free-flowing spigot to increase professor salaries, hire more administrators, and build club-med like amenities. There's a dean for virtually everything these days. Since 1980, the annual average cost to attend four-year public and nonprofit colleges have increased by ninefold to 22,690 and 51,690 respectively. So, Who's eligible for student loan forgiveness? Borrows with federal, with the emphasis on federal, student loan debt, are em- eligible for up to $10,000 in relief if they earn less than $125,000 a year, or $250,000 a year for couples. People who receive federal Pell Grants in college will also be eligible for up to $20,000 in forgiveness. Around six out of 10 borrowers with any federal loans also received a Pell Grant according to the White House, and Pell Grant recipient graduates hold about $4,500 more in debt than any other graduates, according to a 2020 analysis of federal data by the Institute for College Access and Success, which is an advocacy group. The Pell Grant is a form of needs-best federal financial aid that typically does not have to be repaid, which makes it highly desirable. Most student loan borrowers owe less than $25,000 on their loans as of May 2022, according to the Federal Reserve. The national average loan balance is $40,000. So when will the forgiveness take place? The timing remains uncertain, but the Education Department has promised more details in the weeks ahead, at minimum before student loan payments resume in January of 2023. When you forgive debt, you're not just disappearing debt. Do do you need to take action to to receive debt relief? Not yet. Wait until you receive notification from your loan servicer. Now, beware of any friendly sounding phone calls or suspicious looking emails from addresses you don't recognize. Um, It's very complicated process and it's gonna take months to get it working. So don't do anything until you see something happen to your account. Meanwhile, double check the information you've already shared with your loan servicer and the studentaid.government website. Um, it's sorry, studentaid.gov. If you've rec- recently moved or changed any contact information, you're gonna wanna make sure that they have the most up-to-date addresses, says Mark Kantrovitz, a student loan expert. What if I have um, private student loans? Only federal debt isn't is eligible. What if the amount I owe is under $10,000? If you owe less than 10,000 or 20,000 for those who receive Pell Grants, then congratulations, you are now student debt-free. President Biden's plan will wipe out the debt of about 15 million borrowers. So that's a, that's a significant number. Is the pause on student loan payments extended? Um, before the announcement, loan payments were expected to resume on August 31st. Now borrows will, will see the pause extended through the end of the year. Interest accrual and collections remain on pause as well. Are Parent PLUS loans eligible? Yes, any individual student is limited on how much money they can take out in federal loans, but through the Parent PLUS and Grad PLUS programs, families can borrow the total cost of attendance, including room and board and other expenses. The White House announced that the 22 Uh, 2022 student loan uh, cancellation amounts will not be treated as taxable income. Normally, debt forgiveness is often treated as income on taxes. Under the current law, the tax code treats forgiven or canceled debt as taxable income, with some exceptions. Um, However, in this case, you should not be taxed on the amount of your student loan that is forgiven under the cancellation program on the federal level. However, There may be some states that could tax loan forgiveness. Those states are Arizona, Connecticut, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Mississippi, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Student uh, student loans are debts that are intended to be repaid with interest. They are not taxable income and do not need to be reported as such on your tax return. Last point is, what if you've already paid off your loans? At the end of last year, fewer than 1.2% of borrowers continued making payments on their student loans, uh, according to Mr. Kantrovitz. Uh, but some of the borrowers who did take advantage of the two plus years of optional interest-free payments to wipe out their debt entirely. This measure won't apply to balances that have already been paid off. The relief only applies if you don't make over 125,000 a year or live in a house or hold earning more than 250,000. Right now, I'm gonna go over some basics about 529 plans, their impact on financial aid and qualified and non-qualified expenses associated with the plans. First of all, there are two different kinds of ways that you can save on a tax advantage basis for college. One are prepaid tuition plans. Uh, those used to be more popular. The number of states issuing those have shrunk, but Washington does have a plan. Um, and the other R five to nine plans, like the ones that we've been talking about today, uh, those are tax advantaged investment vehicles. The account grows tax deferred, uh, just like an IRA. Uh, savings can be used at most accredited colleges and universities in the United States and abroad. Now, a couple things. First, is you need to remember you can only contribute cash. Uh, that includes checks, money orders, and even credit card payments, although we don't recommend that. You can't contribute stocks, bonds, or mutual funds directly without liquidating them first, and obviously there may be a tax ramification of doing that. Anyone can contribute with a five to nine plan once it's set up, so gift giving became very easy. So if you have a five to nine plan that you're setting up for your kid, you might want to let your parents, grandparents, uh, you, you know, uncles, brothers, siblings, whatever, know that if they want to, they can make a contribution. Now, investment options vary depending on the, the plan and the state that it's uh, residents in. Uh, uh, we, w- there are three that we like. We'd be happy to tell you about those if you're interested in, in uh, knowing more. But the fact is, you get access to really good managers um, for a long period of time. Another thing to keep in mind as you're looking at these plans is the cost. Now, there are some plans that are really geared for the lowest cost possible plans uh, using Vanguard, for example, and Fidelity. Those can be good if that's the most important thing to you. We think that it's more important to find really good managers of money. So we we tend not to worry about that as much. Um, But obviously, uh, uh, the costs are important. The share class is also very important because you have to consider are you buying a plan with a upfront sales commission which can be as high as uh, 5%? Now you do have what's called rights of accumulation, these being mutual funds. And if you and, and that's something when you're talking to uh, your, adv- your advisor and setting this up or going directly, find out if they have rights of accumulation because that can lower that commission upfront. But if you're dealing with somebody who's very young, like uh, my two grandkids have five to nine plans, uh, they're they're choosing the one with the upfront sales commission because the ongoing operational costs are much lower. If somebody is 15 or 16, paying 5% upfront to then start using the money in two, three, or four years may not make sense. So that's something else to keep in mind. You may be able to use these funds for K through 12 education. Be sure to check as not all states recognize these updated provisions for K through 12 education. Um, Also be sure to make sure that you understand the differences between qualified education expenses um, and non-qualified, because that determines whether they're free from federal income tax or not. Also keep in mind that just because it may be tax exempt at the federal level does not mean that it's going to be tax exempt at the state level. So to qualify for a 529 plan under federal rules, a state program can't accept contributions from all sources uh, more than the anticipated cost of attendance for the most expensive schools in the country. Most states have contribution limits of $350,000 per beneficiary. Um, so uh, the other thing to bear in mind is uh, should you make uh, contributions all at once or, or over a time, uh, and we believe you should kind of do both. Uh, We like the idea of taking, let's say uh, you have 30,000 that you want to put into five to nine plan for your your kid or grandkid. You might take half of it and put it to work immediately and then make contributions on a monthly basis, taking advantage of uh, dollar cost averaging, which is a concept uh, which is really good during accumulation. uh, And it's the same kind of thing that helps you if you're making contributions to a 401k plan because you're making the same amount of money every month uh, into the plan. And then depending on how the market is doing, which we know goes up and down, some months you may buy less shares, other months because the market is down, you may buy more. You're gonna end up with a better overall cost basis for that, uh, for that investment over time. Now, the other thing is that five to nine plans allow you to, we call it front end load, five years worth of annual gift exclusion gifts. In 2022, uh, the annual gift exclusion, the amount that you can give to somebody without triggering a gift tax is $16,000 per person. So that's $32,000 per couple. And if you add that over a five-year period, which you can you can do, that $16,000 a year becomes $80,000 or $160,000 per couple. So you could contribute $160,000 or, you know, grandparents do this sometimes um, uh, into it. Most of those uh, contributions, uh, you still have some flexibility in a lot of the plans. They allow you to dollar cost averaging. So you could go in and say, I want half of it to go to work right now and phase the other half in over a monthly basis until you've used it up. Um, So that's another way to do it. Um, Withdrawals should also be coordinated with education tax credits, the American Opportunity Credit and Lifetime Learning Credit because tuition expenses used to qualify for a credit can't be used, uh, can't be the same tuition expenses paid with tax-free five to nine plans. All right, let's talk about financial aid. During the financial aid process, income and assets are examined to determine how much of the student should be uh, expected to pay for school before receiving financial aid. to maximize the beneficiary's future aid options pay close close attention to who is listed as the owner of your 529 plan. Um, For parents that own 529 plans, which is the one that we typically do for our clients, uh, the value of any parent owned 529 plan will be listed as an asset on the free application for federal student aid or a FAFSA application form. Colleges and the federal government typically treat 5.64% of parental assets is available to help pay college tuition costs. By contrast, student-owned assets are assessed at a rate of 20%. So clearly, it's better to have the parents listed as the owner than the student. Um, Here are some other additional things to keep in mind uh, about parental assets. Will the plan be considered an asset? Parents are requested to list a 5-9 to plan as an asset only if they are the account owners of the plan. A note for students who are dependents, a 529 account owned by a dependent student or a custodian for the student is reported on the FAFSA, but it's reported as a parental asset. So instead of being reported at 20%, it's reported to five. That's much better. There are yearly income guidelines. If parental adjusted gross income is less than 50000 and they meet a few other requirements under the simplified needs test, the financial the federal government doesn't count any of their assets. In this case, the 529 account wouldn't affect financial aid. Subsequent years may look different for parent and student-owned 529 plans. Funds aren't classified as parent or student income the following year when they're used to pay for qualified education expenses, which is different than if the grandparent owns it. So what about grandparent-owned 529 plans? If the grandparent is the account owner, the 529 plan doesn't need to be listed as an asset on the FAFSA. Withdrawals from a grandparent owned five to nine account, however, are counted as student income, which is assessed at 50% on the FAFSA of the following year. That means that financial aid eligibility could decrease by 50% in the year following the withdrawal. Grandparents may want to wait until their grandkids last two years of college to make a withdrawal if they are concerned about the potential impact on their grandkids uh, financial aid. Bottom line is, you should review all of your options to ensure that you're financially prepared for educational expenses. If you'd like to discuss 529 plans or any other options, or if you have any questions about the information presented here, please can contact Mike or myself in, in my office, or better yet, send us an email at info at opus111group.com. Right now, I want to do uh, a segment on the uh, 529 Account Taxation 101. So this is a way of funding college education, which obviously is gonna continue to be important, even though we've had this uh, recent uh, decision by the Biden administration to uh, do a little bit of loan forgiveness. What is a 529 plan? Well, it's a tax advantaged account designed to help families save for beneficiary educational expenses. Um, The rules for such plan, formerly known as qualified tuition programs, are defined in section 529 of the internal revenue code the basic premise is that assets in a 529 plan grow tax-free and withdrawals are tax-free as long as they are used for what are called qualified education expenses something we'll go over in a future segment of the show um, there are more tax advantage ways to save for educational expenses compared with other saving vehicles such as Unified Transfer to Minors Act, UTMA, or Uniform Gift to Minors Act accounts, which do not grow tax-free. Here's everything you need to know about the tax treatment of 5-9 plans. First, state by state. 5-9 to plans are offered by various states with each state determining the plan structure and investments. Often a state income tax deduction for contributions is available if you're using your state's 5-9 plan though a federal tax deduction is never allowed for contributions. So that only helps you if you're living in a state with state income tax and they uh, allow the deductibility of those expenses, those contributions. There's a state-by-state list of state uh, tax deductions and credits that we'd be happy to send you. If you're interested, uh, please email us at info at opus111group.com and we will send it to you. Earnings at a 529 plan grow tax-free and will not be taxed upon withdrawal, as long as they're used for qualified education expenses. Tax-free withdrawals now include up to 10000 per year per beneficiary for tuition for K-12 private, public or religious schools. Uh, in addition, 529 plans are now permitted to cover expenses related to any registered apprenticeship program and have a 10000 lifetime limit for withdrawals to pay down student loans. The $10,000 limit applies to beneficiary of a 5 to 9 plan as well as a $10,000 limit for each sibling. A 5 to 9 plan account owner is able to withdraw funds from a 5 to 9 plan anytime for any reason. However, the earnings portion of any non qualified withdrawal will be subject to income tax and a 10% penalty. Uh, in other words, if you're taking out for something that isn't a qualified expense under the definition, uh, they're going to ding a 10% and it's subject to income tax, just the earnings. Except to the 10% penalty, exceptions to the 10% penalty where the penalty will be waived, even when a non-qualified distribution occurred include, number one, when the distribution occurs as a result of a tax credit adjustment. Number two, when the beneficiary receives a tax-free scholarship, veterans, employers, or other tax-free educational assistance. Three, when the beneficiary attends a U.S. military academy. And four, when the beneficiary dies or becomes disabled. Minimum ta- mi- minimal tax reporting is required for five to nine plans. Contributions aren't reported on your federal return. And as of 2022, contributions of up to 16000 or $32,000 for a married couple qualify for the annual gift tax exclusion. You can also front end load a five to nine plan with up to five years of annual exclusion amounts at one time with no gift tax consequences. Upon taking a distribution, a Form 1099-Q will be generated and sent to the appropriate taxpayers. As long as the distribution was for qualified expenses, no tax liability would be associated with the distribution. The 1099-Q shows the total distribution amount the portion allocatable to contributions and the portion allocatable to earnings in the event the distribution is taxable. There are other situations relating to 529 plans that should not trigger adverse tax consequences. Amounts can be rolled over from one 529 plan to another during a 12 month period. The account beneficiary can be changed to another qualifying family of the beneficiary without tax consequences. Uh, If you're considering changing the 529 account owner, however, exercise caution. Uh, this, the most states allow for a change of ownership with no requirement about the relationship between the former and new owner. Some state plans may allow only a change of ownership when the original owner account, uh, account owner dies or in special situations such as divorce. Qualified educational expenses. It's not always clear what constitutes a qualified education expense. IRS publication 970 is the primary source to determine the tax benefits for education, though it does not deal with every situation. Qualified expenses include tuition, fees, books, supplies, and equipment like computers, as well as expenses for special needs services. These expenses must be required for or incurred in connection with enrollment or attendance at an eligible post-secondary school. Qualified expenses may also include the purchase of a computer or peripheral equipment, computer software, internet access and related services if used primarily by the beneficiary when enrolled at an eligibility post-secondary school. Expenses for room and board qualify only if the student is enrolled at least half time and room and board costs are not larger than the greater of the amount charged by the school for living on campus, or larger than the allowance as determined by the school and its estimated cost of attendance used for financial aid purposes. Please note that some states may not align with what is considered a federal qualified withdrawals for such items as K through 12 tuition. In addition, some states have income recapture rules where a deduction allowed in one year may be required to be reported as income in a subsequent year. Items that are typically considered non-qualified expenses include transportation and travel costs, not qualified even for out-of-state students or for travel to uh, and from campus during holidays. Health insurance, not qualified even for a plan provided by the school. Extracurricular activities, only tuition costs and fees are qualified. Additional activity fees are not unless required, uh, unless a required part of attendance. Student loan payments in excess of the lifetime limit of 10000 application and testing fees. Preparatory fees are not qualified. Fees must be associated with current enrollment. So if you want more information about 529 plans, see the Qualified Tuition Program section of IRS Publication 970. If you have any questions related to the taxation of 529 plans, please consult your financial advisor and tax professional. Um, If you want to learn more about these kinds of things, we'd be happy to send you a report. So please uh, email us at info at opus111group.com. So there's another uh, type of 529 plan called a 529A account, which is for special needs individual. The Achieving a Better Life Experience or ABLE Act created tax-favored accounts for individuals with disabilities. Uh, These are intended to be a low-cost alternative to special needs trusts. Uh, Individuals with disabilities may open a 529-1, 529-A account. To qualify, beneficiaries must have a significant disability that they were diagnosed with before age 26, and that disability must be expected to last for at least 12 consecutive months. Contributions are limited to $16,000 per individual per year. Contributions are ineligible for the five-year averaging rules that are available in the standard 529 plan college savings account. Unlike contributions to traditional 529 plans, contribution, contributions to 529A to plans are irrevocable. Um, distributions can be taken over a beneficiary's lifetime to cover the costs of medical expenses, education, transportation, employment training and support, as well as housing. Non-qualified distributions are subject to income tax on earnings as well as a 10% penalty, just like a normal 529 plan. Additional features, these accounts typically will not qualify, disqualify the disabled inter- individual from most state or federal aid, such as Medicaid or Social Security. Only the first 100000 in the account is exempt from the supplemental Social Security income tax limit of 2000 however. Funds remaining in the account when the disabled individual passes away will be used to repay the state for any benefits received under a state Medicaid plan. Um, A number of states have implemented their own ABLE programs, most of them accept uh, uh, enrollment nationwide. Um, And in addition, tax cuts uh, and Jobs Act of 2017 included several provisions that expanded the ability to contribute to these ABLE plans. So it's likely that 529A accounts will be an integral part of financial planning for families with special needs children in the future. Uh, now I'm going to turn things over to Andrew, who will give us this week's closing numbers for the markets.
1: Thanks, Jim. The S&P 500 continued its slip in the early part of the trading week, dropping nearly another 0.41% on Tuesday after the Labor Day holiday, but it rallied strongly to end the week, it closed 1.83% up Wednesday, 0.6% on Thursday, and then 1.5% in the on Friday to rally out a pretty strong market rally on the week broadly speaking most things are still down from where they are this time last year including the Nasdaq down just over 20% the Dow down about 9.3 the S&P 500 right now at quarter percent was down as much as 20 earlier this year. In terms of trading up, crude oil slipped a little bit this week, but still 23.67% higher than what it was at the close this time last year. And the 10-year Treasury, unsurprisingly, finished at 3.321. That is almost 200% higher than the one6 that it was this time in 2021 as interest rates continue to climb. Speaking of interest rates... The Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller on Friday echoed strong sentiments that it is likely the Fed will go for another large rate hike to the federal funds rate later this month, saying, "quote Because of the strong labor market right now, there is no trade-off between the Fed's employment and inflation objectives, so we will continue to aggressively fight inflation." Aggressively, the markets seem to predict is about a 0.75 percent rate hike. That has been the Fed's rate hike. Of choice, the last couple times out. Another increase of 0.75% would be the third consecutive move of that magnitude. That is the fastest pace of monetary tightening since the Fed began using the federal funds rate as its chief policy tool in the early 1990s. Well, that's what I have over here. Jim, back to you.
0: And now for some economic news. I have to say, 2022 is unlike any year I can remember in my 39 years in the business. And that's because investors have had no place to hide, with both stocks and bonds taking a beating in a combination that's unprecedented in modern history. According to Evercore's ISI's Julian Emanuel, 2022 is the only year on record in which uh, both the S&P stock market and the U.S. bond market have each lost 10% on a year-to-date basis. As, as evidence of that, the S&P US aggregate bond index was down 10.86% through September 6th. And uh, uh, through September 7th, the S&P 500 had dropped 16.55% for a year. What does that mean? Well, it means that in the past, you, you would expect the bond market to provide a ballast against stock market declines. Because when the stock market would go down, traditionally, people shifted from the risky assets, stocks, into bonds. However, this year, because the Federal Reserve has been raising rates, uh, which tends to affect the price of bonds, both the bond market and the stock market have dropped. So what do we counsel our clients to do? Well, uh, number one, keep on looking at large cap value stocks, particularly ones that pay good dividends. Uh, And then on the bond market, in the past, we have really pulled our clients' durations very short But now as rates are going up, we're starting to look out and see, can we push uh, yields out and and buy some bonds out the seven to 15-year basis, whereas most of our bond money now is very, very short. So that's what we're looking at. But uh, obviously, this is a situation that continues to evolve. And that's part of the reason that uh, we continue to monitor it and then provide guidance to our clients on this subject. Now, these rising rates also affect uh, the balance sheets of most investors in in other ways, particularly with respect to their home values and real estate. Some homeowners are losing wealth as higher mortgage rates weigh on home values, at least on paper, and the once Red Hawks housing market is cooling. Sales have been slowing down for several months, with mortgage rates now double what they were at the start of the year. Uh, Data also suggests that tappable home equity, meaning home equity line of credit have peaked and are starting to decline as well. Home prices likewise dropped 0.77% from June to July, according to a recent report from Black Knight, a software data and analytics company. While that may not sound like a lot, it was the largest monthly decline since January of 2011, and the first monthly drop of any size in 32 months. According to Ben Grabowski, president of Black Knight, Annual home price appreciation still came in at over 14% for the year, but in a market characterized by as much volatility and rapid change as today's, such backward-looking metrics can be misleading as they can mask more current pressing reality. Roughly 85% of major markets have seen prices come off peaks through July, with one-third coming down more than 1%, and about 1 in 10 falling by 4% or more. As a result, after gaining trillions of dollars in home equity collectively during the first two years of the COVID pandemic, some homeowners are now losing equity. This lost equity is affecting what people call tappable equity, um, which means that uh, uh, the amount that you can borrow on a home equity line of credit. In June and July, uh, the tappable equity was down 5%, and given the weakening in the housing market since then, provide a frame of reference, from April through July, San Jose, California lost 20% of its tappable equity, followed by Seattle uh, down 18, San Diego down 14, San Francisco down 14, and Los Angeles down 10. However, homeowners are still far more flush than they were the last time the housing market went through a major correction, meaning 2008 and 9. During the subprime mortgage crash, which began in 2007 and the subsequent Great Recession, Home values plummeted by nearly half in some major markets. Millions of borrowers went underwater on their mortgages, owing more than their homes were worth. That is not the case today. Current borrowers, on average, owe just 42% of their home value on both the first and second mortgages. It's the lowest leverage on record. So losing some value on paper shouldn't affect these homeowners at all. Even with a universal 15% decline in prices, negative equity rates would still need still be nowhere near the levels seen during the financial crisis, according to experts. But these rising rates, uh, everything not all the economic news is bad because the dollar is as strong as it's been in a long time, especially with respect to the Europe but other major trading partners. And that means that the value of the US dollars is its highest, highest in roughly two decades relative to the Euro. And it means that if you travel internationally, you're effectively getting a discount on hotels, car rentals, and other purchases when you travel abroad. The euro has dropped 16% roughly from a year ago. Why? Because the U.S. Federal Reserve's campaign to raise interest rates has encouraged international investors to keep funds in dollar-based assets where they can earn generally a higher rate of return. Earlier this year, surging oil prices had hurt growth prospects for some development countries, especially in Europe relative to the U.S., and economic uncertainty due to inflation factors like inflation, recession fears, and the war in Ukraine has led investors to flock to safe haven assets like the U.S. dollars. Well, thank you very much for listening in today. Uh, This is Jim Harvey. President of Opus 111 Group. It's been my pleasure to pinch hit for Mike Mail on uh, Money Management with Mike Mail on KXLY News Radio 920 in Spokane. Enjoy the week. Join us again next Saturday morning at this same time for the financial insight, opinion, and perspective of money management with Mike Mail. Have a question or comment? You can reach Mike at our website, Opus111 Group.com. (laughs) I'm <laughs>